0: But I want to welcome you guys to Catalyst Church. If you guys are here in person today, you'll see these green cards stuffed in the chairs behind you, next to you, somewhere. If you will take these out and just give us your information. If you've done the whole thing before, just put your name on it, drop it in the bucket on the way out. Um, We'd love to connect with you. Catalystchurch.info. If you're online or in in the house and you're like, you know, I don't feel like filling out one of those green cards, then don't. Uh, catalystchurch.info, you can uh, connect with us there. We are a church based on relationships. And uh, we just want to get to know each other a little bit. We're not knocking on your door. We're not showing up to your house. Uh, but we want to get to know you and be able to call you by name and start some relationships. So if you would take a second and just fill one of those out, uh, that would be fantastic. One of the things I need you to know starting off today is that you are enough. You are in the right place to ask questions about this whole Jesus guy and to figure out what you believe. Because many of you walk in here and you have, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus, but they've been in my ear and they said if I, you know, if I would just come, they would stop nagging me. So you showed up. Welcome. Some of you come in here and you're like, I know exactly what I believe about everything. I would say, put that on pause. And see what God does as he opens up his scripture, as we open up his scripture, as you run into relationships and just see what God does because you are in a good place to be who God made you to be. Because we've all been to those places, right? That you realize as soon as you show up, I don't belong here. Like these aren't my people. Like I don't know, I don't know where that is for you Like maybe you were you were getting ready to go to a place. Maybe it's a work event. Maybe it's something else and you go ahead and you get dressed and and whether it's your wife or your husband, like the husband comes out and she's like, oh, you're wearing that. I guess not. I guess I'm going to go back in and I'm going to put on a different shirt and pants or shoes that will help me fit in with people that I don't want to hang out with in the first place. Thank you, honey. I appreciate you doing this for me. That makes me feel good. Then you're like, okay, we're going to go to this place. I got I to watch what I say and how I say it. And Your wife's coaching you up or your husband's coaching you up on the way. It's like, you know that thing you like to say? Don't. Don't say that. Don't say it in that way. Don't, don't do those things. You're like, okay. I'm going to a place where I know I don't fit in, around people that that I've got to watch everything that I say and how I say it and the questions that I ask and all of the above. What am I supposed to... Like, I don't want to be in a place like that. I get that. I completely get that. For me, the preacher, that place was church. It doesn't work out real well if you're a preacher and you don't fit in in a church is what I've come to figure out along the way. I realized that... The, the model that God gave for me for a church was the church that I was in from 11 to 15 years old. That was the only time I ever really went to church, 11 to 15 years old, and God calls me into ministry, and I hadn't really attended church regularly in a while. Um, but I was like, all right, like I can do this. My church growing up was the beacon of hope, not one of these cool, fancy names like Catalyst. It was the beacon of hope. I'm like, I, I like that. We had a bell out front, and you know, when youth nights happened, we were knocking on the bell and the preacher was like, stay away from the bell. And we would sneak around and we hit the bell some more often. You know, it was just a little, we were having fun. And I remember it at the church, and this is back in like the 80s, so recognize I'm old. Um, but we were back there and I remember like the church was just accepting of everybody. They loved everybody who came through the door. And I remember back in the eighties, we had, we had two or three couples in this church of 120 on Easter Sunday that they were biracial couples, you know, different races, married to each other. And back then, like, I don't know about that. But in my church, it was like, yeah, like this, this is what we do here. Uh, Wednesday night we did youth group and my youth minister would go pick up the local drug dealers and bring them to youth group. This normally is what not, (laughs) what not we want to do at, I'm speaking real well today too. So this is normally what you don't want to do at youth group, but he would go get them and he would bring them because you need to be where God's people are. You need to come in touch with Jesus. And you're going to do that at youth group. You're going to do that on Sunday morning. So this was what I thought all churches were. And then God called me and I went to Bible college. I got kicked out. The first one is like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I need to change who I am because I'm not like all the other people here. and I got my second Bible college. I'm the great student that I am. So academic probation the first semester. And you're like, okay, like maybe this deal isn't for me Did God really call me to in the ministry. Cause one of these kids is doing his own thing. And, like, and that's me. Like everywhere that I go, it's like, I just don't seem to fit in. Um, but when God called me to to start a church, I had this model in my head where I wanted everybody to feel welcome. I wanted you to be who the heck you were. And that's going to be different. It's going to be odd. You're going to be messy. You're going to like ask questions like, why would you ask that question? Because I didn't know the answer. That's why I asked that question, why I said these things. And I noticed that God has done the same thing for us in scripture. He has given us a model that he wants us to be like. And for everybody, you know, the easy Sunday school answer is Jesus. Well, there was somebody before Jesus that God started everything with, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to talk about Him today. Last week, Evan started our mindset series, and he looked at Abram. Now, this is in the Old Testament. We're in Genesis early on. Abram becomes Abraham because of the covenant. God changes His name. You'll see this happen. Often in scripture, when God wants to change somebody, wants to call them into doing something else, he changes their name. Your name ain't that anymore, I'm calling you this. Your name isn't Simon, it's now Peter. Like your name isn't Saul, it is now Paul. Your name isn't Abram, it is now Abraham. So we're going to look at two different stories today, and we're going to try to figure out what we can learn about how we should live because of a guy who lived four or 5,000 years ago the guy who started it all, the guy who broke the mold and said, God said, this is who I want people to be like. So we're going to look at this and like every good story that happens in scripture, not like story, like it wasn't real, but it was real. Any good beginning of a life, what we see is like, if you're going to hook me at the beginning of a movie, what do you got to have? Genealogies, just a whole list of names that I can't pronounce that when I'm doing my Bible reading app, I just check that box and move on. Like I, there's no reason for me to read those names. I can't pronounce those names. I don't know anything about those names. But what we know is because there are so many genealogies throughout the thing. And we see like in Matthew, when you get to the very first book in your, in your Bible, or the New Testament, what does it start off with? A genealogy about Jesus. Why? Because for Jewish people, the most important thing ever was to be fruitful and multiply, to add to number. You knew that you were being blessed by God by the more kids you had. And you knew that you were, you, could, you were living the right life by how many kids you had. So you had to have as many kids as you could possibly have. Because that's what God commanded early on in Genesis, and they took it serious. And you've got to recognize that. See, the genealogy tells us that they care about how many kids they have. They care about what order the kids are in. They care about so many different things that we've got to slow down and we've got to look into the genealogy a little bit. But when I think about this, like times have changed a little bit. And even with the newest generation here today, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to have kids. I think I'm going to have dogs. I think I'm like, this is, this is where people are. When I, was up, when I was coming up, I wanted a basketball team. I'm going to have five. You know, and everybody's got their idea about, like, it's just going to be great. We're going to have kids, and things are going to be fantastic. And then I had two, and I was like, no, nope, done, done. I'm not cut out for this thing. Like, I can, any more kids running around? Like, I don't, notice I don't have any hair. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. So you got to figure these things out. So we're going to look here at the very beginning of the story of Abraham so that we can get a good picture of what's going on. And we're going to start in the genealogy. So we see in Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27, it says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. So notice here, when we're, like, I wanna give you some tools so that when you open up scripture, like you can figure it out a little bit better rather than just come and listen to the preacher all the time. You need to open up the Bible on your own. Notice in the list, who is listed first? Abram. And there is a reason for that because he is the most important and he is the oldest. They went hand to hand. In this patriarchal society, the oldest son went and met everything. Everything was given to the oldest son. So if you are not the oldest son here today, uh, imagine that your parents passed on and gave everything to your older brother. You got nothing. You didn't get little knickknacks. You didn't get any property. You didn't get any finances. You got absolutely nothing that's what happened in this society. Abram was the oldest, and then, then we have Nahor, and then we have Haran, and he became the father of Lot. Okay, so they, so they dropped this information in here. Notice that we also, happens in the New Testament, like who do we think is like uh, the team leader of the apostles? Peter. Why? Because he's always mentioned first. There's a reason he's always mentioned first. One, he is important. Two, he is also the oldest. We think of these big old burly men, like to grow a beard that I can't grow. Um, there were only two people old enough hanging out with Jesus to pay for taxes. Everybody else was under the taxation age at that point. Because Jesus said, they came to him and said, what are we supposed to do about these taxes? And he was like, go, go fishing, because you're a fisherman. Get a, go ahead and open up the fish's mouth. It's gonna have two coins. Go use those two coins to pay your taxes and mine. Why are they only paying two people's taxes? everybody else was too young. These were kids trying to figure this out. They weren't 50-year-old men with full-grown beards. These were teenagers trying to follow after Jesus. So like, let's just recognize that and let's keep moving. So Abraham was what they called the Behor, the oldest son in this patriarchal society. So he got first choice in everything. He was the most important and everybody knew that. And the family wasn't bothered by that because he got all of Uh, the land, all the property, all the accolades, all of everything, but it was his job to take care of the rest of the family. They didn't have any responsibilities. All of the weight was on the oldest son's shoulders, always. And he didn't get to run the family how he wanted to run the family. He had to run the family how his dad ran the family. You can't be like, well, I ain't going to do that like that in my house. Mm -mm. You did not have that option. You ran the family like your dad ran the family. And it was just the responsibility, responsibility of the oldest son. So when the patriarch died, Abram would, would take over. Let, let's jump into here in, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. It says, while the father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. So that seems like an odd thing to put in there. So put that one in your pocket and let's keep running. And Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And she was a daughter of Haran, both father of Milcah and Ishka. If you look at this family tree, it gets real crazy right here. And there are, we could spend two hours on who Milcah and Ishka are. We're We're just going to keep rolling because we don't have time for that right now. Now, Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Oh, you're doing the genealogy, uh, okay? This person's married to this person, they had these kids, and this person. Oh yeah, she can't have kids. And whoa, whoa! This doesn't. That's not a very nice thing to put in scripture, is it? There's a reason that it's there. It's to get our attention. When something, when you're reading scripture and it's like that doesn't fit, that doesn't seem right, it's because they're trying to give us a hint that something really important is happening right here. Dig down. Most of the time we go through our scripture and we just live on the surface level. And the surface level will get you following Jesus and you can be saved and you can live a good Christian life. Like that's where most every Christian lives. But there are layers of understanding below the scripture. Things that are built into what they're saying and how they're doing it. And if we're not paying attention, we will never get there. And I want you to have the tools to decide, do I wanna know this stuff or not? So uh, from the first time we see Abram, he gets, to make the most, he gets to make the first choice. He's the most important. We know that everything that is important to them is about how many kids that I'm gonna have and who does he marry? I'll take the girl who can't have any kids. That, that seems odd. That seems like maybe the worst choice he could have made. Why in the world would Abram choose a woman that cannot carry on the family line? Not only is he a son, and that was your job, he was the oldest son. It was his job to run the Beit Av, the extended family, everybody, every animal, every land, everything, and to pass on his name to everybody, and he gets to choose, and he was like, I'll take Sarah. Why? And I think... At this part, we get to see why God chose Abram to be the father of many nations. Abram, who becomes Abraham, is the father of the three largest religions in the world still today. His first son, Ishmael, is where we get Islam. Isaac, his second son, is where we get Judaism. And we are a branch off Judaism. He is the father of many nations. If you're going to start something that you want to go generations and generations to pass on to your kids and and, and their kids and their kids' kids and their grandkids, it's important how you start. It's important who you choose to start it. Are you going to bless generation after generation or are you gonna let them figure it out themselves? These people were not into letting them figure out themselves. When God said, I wanna start everything off right, he chose Abram and I think the reason he chose Abram is because the heart that Abram had mirrored the heart that God had. God loves messy people. God loves people who just, maybe they made a wrong decision, maybe they followed the example of people that were in their lives that were wrong. He's like, these are my people. And God chose Abram Because from the very thing, very first thing we learned about Abraham is he's like, no one's going to want her. That's my girl. That's the one that I want. And he chose her. And I think it put on display the heart that a man has to have if he is going to follow Jesus. Let's continue on here. In, in uh Genesis chapter twelve, one through five, it said, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And everybody who grew up in church is like, Lord, just give me that faith. Just let me trust you. Let's let me you're not even giving me a roadmap. I'm just gonna you to tell me what my next step is. Just let me be faithful like that. And you pull that out and you put it on a shirt and a hat and and we got, you know, tumblers with it and we got everything. The story doesn't stop there. Why in the world would we stop there? So let's, let's start this again, and let's see what comes directly after it. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That makes it a bit easier, doesn't it? hey, I want you to go ahead and I want you to do something new. I want you to start a new job. I want you to whatever it is. And when you get it, you're going to be good. Oh, so good, you're going to become rich. And everybody around you is going to be happy and everybody's going to be happy to know you. You just got to move to a different place. You're like, I'm in. I'm in. It's not like he said, Abram, I'm going to need you to go over here and it's going to be rough. He was like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make everything great. I'm going to bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on the earth will be blessed through you. This is one of those things we just run on by, right? Because I'm trying to get my scripture in for the day. Why does God choose to make Abram a great nation? Why does God choose to bless Abram, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make everything about you great. I'm going to make you so successful. Why? So that you can pass it on. Here's what we miss in our society so so much today. Because I don't think God was ever like, nah, let's quit the Abraham thing. Oh, we live in the United States now? Nah, we're not going to do this anymore. When God blesses any of his followers, it is not just that we can store up more for ourselves. Like, we should take care of ourselves. We should take care of our family. I'm not saying don't live on anything. But if God continues to bless you, he continues to bless you because he wants you to pass it on to other people. Everybody around you should be blessed. When you are successful, everybody around me should be successful because I'm taking everybody with me. That's the example that God set for us so long ago that that we just forget. So Abram went. And as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and all the people he had acquired in Haran, and he sent out for the land of the Chaldeans, and he arrived there. So who's with Abram? His barren wife, and his nephew who doesn't have a dad anymore. Abram just he can't seem to help himself. He sees somebody who needs a model, somebody who needs a protector, somebody who's had a tough time, and he said, I got you. I will make sure that your future is bright no matter what it means to me. I'm going to make sure that things get better. Abraham chooses to care for people who are a bit messy. And he just continues to do this over and over again. See, you have to be a strong person to care for people, maybe even go looking for people who have baggage. It's like, oh, no, I want, I want somebody has got all their stuff together. That's not what God said he wanted from us. That, when he chose Abraham and he said, this is your example, he was like, uh where's all those wrecked people? Oh, you got baggage, you made poor decisions, you had uh, mom and dad who didn't care for you and model things right for you. Those are my people, come on and he stepped into the mess with every single person, that's what God is looking for. He is looking for it from men, and he is looking for it from women. Now, here's the deal. I feel like that when when men go to church, for some reason or another, uh, we feel like we have to be muted. We can't be men in the church I've got to speak softly and quietly and I have to apologize all the time. I get to wear the right clothes and say the right things and and do the right things and I can't mess anything up or God just won't love me or or I won't fit in. But I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. What a strong Christian man looks like is someone who is willing to step into a mess, who is willing to bless others with everything that he has been blessed with. It doesn't mean you have to be soft-spoken all the time. If you're soft-spoken, that's fine. But God isn't asking you to come and follow him and change everything about yourself. He wants to use everything about yourself. Abram was our example, and he took it, and, and he stepped into a mess, and he loved them with all of his heart. That's not for the faint of heart. I believe God wants to use people who can take their blessings that are provided for them and provide for other peoples. And this isn't easy in our culture. Our culture tells us keep it all for yourself, open new bank accounts, new investments, new bigger, better, all the things. And I'm not saying you can't have nice things because there are some people, if we look in scripture, there are some people who are blessed financially. God has given them a mind and the abilities to figure some of that stuff out. Some people are blessed to be preachers and teachers and and, and that's what we need to be doing. All of our blessings look a little bit different. But Abram got it right here. And not because he was soft-spoken and he was easy and he always asked for forgiveness and he always wore the right things and ate the right things and went to the right places. It was like, oh, everybody else is afraid to be around you. Everybody else is afraid. I'm in. These are the only people I want to hang out with, actually, are the ones who are really sort of jacked up. And that is the example God used in the Old Testament to say, act like this guy. But, but maybe Abram got it right once. Maybe he, like, he just lucked into that one. So, so let's look at an, another part of Abram's life. In Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. He had just changed his name. In the previous chapter, he had just changed it from Abram to Abraham. He said, okay, you're going to be the father of many nations. He made a covenant with him, so that's why his name is changed. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to the tent in the heat of the day. Now, here's the thing. When he is over there and he is out by the trees of Mamre, he is out, and, and you'll notice this oftentimes, God takes people to the desert to get them ready for whatever it is. Oftentimes we think, oh, oh the Satan is just on me, and he's just, no, God's trying to harden you. He's trying to make you tough because he's got something he wants you to go through. You better better get ready for it. Now, sometimes Satan does come at you, but sometimes God's like, "Uh uh-uh, it's time to go to the desert. He is sitting here in the desert. Now, here's one of the things that I learned when we were over in Israel, that you have they talked to the difference about the EC cultures and the AC cultures. The EC cultures are still happening over in Israel. Extreme condition cultures. The people over there act differently. There are communities around the United States where there are still extreme conditions. And when somebody would come to them, they would have to let them come stay in their house for three days. They had to let them come in. They had to feed them. They had to give them all of their needs, give them a place to sleep. Why? because I may need you tomorrow. I mean, we're in the middle of a desert. It's 105 degrees. We get two inches of rain every year. Like we have to depend on each other to get through this. And then we have our AC, our air conditioned cultures is like, now I got to answer the door. Now I want to fool with them a little bit. Uh, uh-uh. uh, I, mm, I already, I already took that phone call. I already helped out with that person. Mm, I'm done because we don't ever think we're going to need anybody around us. We don't ever think we're going to need our neighbor. We're going to need our coworker, We're going to need our church family to help us get through something. So we just, I like to do my thing and everybody else can do their thing. This was not like that. Abram was sitting there and he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Why is Abram sitting here? To know this, you have to look back at chapter 17. He had just done a covenant with God and he was just circumcised. Boys, you're going to have to give me a little space. I got a little pain here. I'm going to be mean and hateful for a few days. You might want to give me a little space. And then we get here to verse two, and Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low on the ground. Now, the writers of this new NIV translate this: they hurried. Every other person translate this: he ran. And I think that's a better translation. They're trying to help us out because what they understood about culture is old men don't run. Can I get an amen? Oh, like I don't like running in this society. Like, ah, the older I get, I'm like, now I'm going to walk. They're like, they're going to chase you. like, they're going to catch me. Like, I don't even care. Like it's just, I'm not running in this culture. If a man would run, it would show his knees. All of you guys wearing shorts them sexy knees you got. Like, it was provocative. It was like, you can't show your knees. That is sinful. You can't let that happen. So Abraham did not care about what was going on in the culture. He saw three guys. They needed help. He ran to them and bowed down after just being circumcised. Like, that's some boldness. Like, like I might go out to him slowly or something like I ain't running. It, it just, it's not happening. And he goes on, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by and a little, let me, uh, let a little water be brought and then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, you, you boys look a little tired. Let's get you all washed up, and we'll get you some snacks, and we'll get you something to drink, and then you can go ahead and go. But you look a little tired. Let me help you out here a little bit. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried. He ran to the tent to Sarah, showing off those knees and everything. Oh, crazy. And he says to Sarah, I like this. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Now, here's one of those measurements we don't use anymore. Three C's of flour is 36 pounds of flour. Quick, honey. <laughs> here's 36 pounds of flour. Make it all into bread in a jiffy. Like, it's going to be real easy, right? Like, and she pulled out her mixer, and it was going in the corner while she was over here with the water. No, she is kneading 36 pounds of flour quickly. And then he goes on, and he says... Uh, Then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice, tender calf. Oh, we're having steak tonight. And gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. He hurried to prepare a calf. He didn't run to the store. It's prepackaged. We got to throw it on the grill real quick. We're going to be all right. Can you hurry up and butcher this calf? What What do you mean by hurry? Like I got a knife and it's just me. So realize when Abraham's talking about this, when they're recording this story, this didn't happen in five minutes. Abraham got to spend some time with these guys. He got to set an example once again. If you are in my house, this is how we take care of strangers. If you're in my house, when somebody looks like they're in need, this is how we do it in my house. He set the example for everybody. He then brought some curds and milk and calf that had been prepared, and he set them uh, before them, and they ate it. And he stood near them in a tree uh, under a tree. Who ate it? Not Abraham they ate it. See, Abraham was really good at making others feel important. Abraham was really good, would go out of his way to make sure other people felt better than him, had more than him. If Abraham's here today, he's encouraging everybody on the way. I like that shirt. I like how you're doing this. I love how you're acting. I love, like he is just making everybody better. Everybody around him is getting better, no matter what's happening God chose an example of what he wants his men to be like. Women, like you fit into this too, but men, I feel like the, the church is just trying to wreck us as men in the church. That's why men don't like to go to church. Is, he said, here's who I want you to be like. Oh, you got a little pain? These people need help. And Abraham went out and helped them. And he sacrificed his finances. He sacrificed the work that was going on in his house. He sacrificed so many things to make sure these strangers were taken care of. And what do you know? Those strangers end up being angels. And from there, they come into Abraham and they're talking with Abraham. And they're like, hey, Abraham, like nine months from now, you're gonna have a kid. <laughs> this little laugh comes from outside the door. Read this, I'm telling you, go back and read the scripture. You, don't, you ain't making this stuff up. You can't make this stuff, it's good. They hear the little laugh and they're like, oh, who laughed? And Sarah's like, oh, it wasn't me. Well, You would not supposed to be listening anyways. You're outside the room they're like, you did laugh. She was like, well, well, then they have nine months later, they have a son named Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. Gotcha, girl. Like you ain't fooling anybody. We knew you were out there laughing. And the angels decide they're going to go over here and they're going to do why God brought them here. They're going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah and they're going to destroy it because these people are just wrecking things. We like to think about one thing that maybe they weren't getting right. Scripture says there are a whole bunch more and more that were maybe more important if we look at the rest of scripture. But he's like, they're going to mess up everything for everybody around them. And if any of them move away from there, they're going to take all of their issues with them. And I can't have that. So God said, guys, go down, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels are walking away and they're like, shouldn't we, this guy just took care of us. Shouldn't we let him know what's going on? So they stop and they're like, hey, we're going to go down here and we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent us to do this. Let me ask you. Abraham took his nephew with him. At one point, go read this in Genesis there. It's probably about five chapters. Go read this. He takes it, and Lot has so many, such a large family and animals and sheep herders and everything else, and so does Abraham that they get to a place and they have to split up. He's like, Lot, you get to choose where you want to go. I'll go the opposite way. Lot chooses to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham knows that they're about to go down and destroy all these people who Abraham has a heart for because they're a mess and those are my people. But he also knows his nephew is down there. And when you look through scripture, it'll say he was sitting at the city gates, which means he was a leader in, this, uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot went down there, one person, and was changed by the people he was hanging out with and not for the good. And he became a leader of not for the good. But Abraham can't let that happen. So Abram turns, and he turns on this boldness that God wants from every single Christian period, but men from us a little bit more maybe. And he talks to God. He was like, hey, God, I know you're God and all, and you created everything and all, but how about if we find 50 righteous people down here between two cities, would you destroy them? And God was like, here's my boy again. No, I won't destroy him. if You find fifty. And he was like fifty. How about forty-five? Can I get forty-five? Forty-four. He, he like bargains him all the way down to ten people. God knows there's not ten righteous people there. He's God. He he knows like what's going on there. And he's like, all right, if you can find ten, and they can't find ten, and the angels go in, and do you know the boldness that it took to challenge God? on what was going on, because you wanted to take care of the people that he felt like he had to destroy? Abram was made from something different. Abraham was the man that all of us Christian men are supposed to be like. He cares for people that are hard to care for. He loves them, he gives them food off his own plate. He is invested. He is invested in these people so much, he's willing to look into the eyes of God and talk him down. See, let me tell you, following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It is not the easy way out. It's not the easy thing to do. It is for the bold. It is for the risk takers. It is for those who want to be world changers, but maybe don't know how. I just... Read a quote this past week when I was getting ready from Jim Putman, who's my man. I love his stuff. He helped train us uh, when we were getting ready to start the church. And he said, God didn't call us to innovate. God called us to imitate. Stop trying to come up with your own ways to do everything. How about you just follow the example of the people who came before you? And if some of you didn't have those great examples in your house, how about you open up the scripture? How about you try being like Jesus? and, And we look at Jesus and somehow we have whitewashed him into this just real soft and caring and and never having an edge to him kind of guy, go read it. He got all kinds of edge. When God started the three major faiths, he said, here's the example that I want you to imitate. Abraham, who will love you no matter what is going on. When all the rest of your family and friends run, he walks in. That is what God is looking for in followers of his, and it is not easy to do. It takes boldness It takes some chutzpah that Abraham had. See, it's time for us as a church, as men, to step up and be men who can lead, men who can care for people. It doesn't mean you always have to have the biggest mouth in the room. It means you are willing to step in when everybody else is afraid. It is time for us to step up, to be lifted up. And when you need somebody to lean on because you don't know how to do it by yourself, that's why we come together as a family. Because you're never meant to do it alone. Men need other men. Women need other women who will build you up, who will encourage you, who will send you in the right direction. And if you're looking for one of those places, welcome to Catalyst. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for giving us an example for not giving up when we mess up and we will when we say the wrong things when we ask the wrong things. Thank you for putting people in our lives to come after us. Let us be a people about you following after you with the same boldness that you gave somebody else. Let us be those same people today. Help us to change the families here, the people that we come in contact with, our coworkers, our neighbors. Let us be men following after you just how you created us. It's your son's name I pray, amen.